You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. If you enjoy bizarre true stories, then the Useless Information Podcast is the podcast for you. For example, did you know that author Robert Louis Stevenson gave his birthday away? Or that there was a football team that played for six years before someone realized that the school never, ever existed? Or that a dog in upstate New York was once placed on trial for murder? Well, to hear these and hundreds of additional fascinating true stories from the flip side history, be sure to check out the Useless Information Podcast. That's the Useless Information Podcast, podcasting worldwide since 2008 and available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Be sure to check it out. In January of 1066, the call went out. King Edward the Confessor, last English monarch of the House of Wessex, was dead. This was bad news for England, as Edward had failed to produce an heir, and the future of the kingdom sat in doubt. The Wittens, the ruling class of England, convened and appointed Harold Godwinson, another Saxon, the new king of England, while William of Normandy began contemplating invasion. For months, William built warships and marshaled forces, while the new King Harold prepared troops and battlements in anticipation of a coming war for the future of England. And yet no war came. William sat on the beaches of Brittany, surrounded by soldiers and ships, waiting for a sign that was slow in coming. Then, in April, a great light appeared. For months, this fiery orb sat in the night sky as bright as the moon, begging to be interpreted. And neither Harold nor William disappointed. Harold saw the new star as proof that he was the rightful king, while William took it as a sign that he should invade. And so the two met outside the city of Hastings, with 17,000 or so of their closest well-armed friends, to hash out the differences in their interpretations. On the morning of October 14th, the armies clashed. By evening, the English forces were defeated, King Harold was dead, and William of Normandy had earned a new title, William the Conqueror. The Battle of Hastings is one of the more crucial skirmishes in history. William's victory marked the beginning of hundreds of years of Anglo rule over England, including Kings Henry I, William II, Stephen, Henry II, Richard IV, Henry, pretty much all the Edwards and the Henrys and Williams. The English language, the history of colonialization, Protestantism, all of it in large part comes down to one day, and that one day at least in part comes down to a chunk of rock about nine miles long, traveling 3.5 million miles from the planet. But this wasn't the first time Halley's Comet had changed the world, and it wouldn't be the last. This is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. Today's episode, we are still here. It's not surprising to hear that ancient peoples saw comets as portents of things to come. It's obvious. It's universal. Look at any culture in human history, and if there's record left enough of them to show it, you'll find superstitious beliefs about comets, asteroids, shooting stars. 
The Chinese believed that comets heralded wars, famines, civil unrest, and whale deaths, which is so specific. And I want to know why. Why that very particular idea? But alas, I cannot figure it out. In Germany, people long believed that seeing a shooting star guaranteed a year of good fortune. Although if you saw three in one night, you'd die. So that's a lesson about quitting while you're ahead. The destruction of Jerusalem in 66 AD, the Black Death, earthquakes and fires, all were foretold by comets. Well, foretold afterwards. Like with William the Conqueror, nobody was ever able to agree upon what comets portended until whatever they supposedly portended had already come to pass, which is pretty convenient. But the main thing comets told people came back to kings and queens and emperors and rulers, as Shakespeare wrote in Julius Caesar, when beggars die, there are no comets seen. The heavens themselves blaze forth the death of princes. And indeed, not long after Caesar's assassination, a huge comet, amongst the brightest in recorded history, appeared in the sky. The Roman people took it as a chariot from the gods, sent to bring the slain leader to divinity. Emperor Nero was said to have taken a more prophylactic approach to the comet he saw, murdering as many potential usurpers as he could get his hands on until Seneca offered him some sage advice. No matter how many you kill, you cannot kill your successor. To which Nero said, screw you Seneca, and went right back to murdering. Comets marked the rise and fall of leaders all around Europe from the beginning of recorded history until at least Napoleon. And the same was true throughout the world. It's said that Aztecs didn't take up arms against Cortes because a comet had presaged the fall of their leader. The same visit in 1066 that brought William to England also marked war between two Chinese kings. And Genghis Khan is said to have been convinced to invade the West based on the direction of Halley's tale. But there was something different about Europeans' relationships to comets. They didn't study them. Europeans didn't understand that some comets returned periodically until the 1700s, even though their Chinese and Babylonian counterparts had figured out how to predict their rearrival hundreds of years before Christ was born. Which is especially weird, because way back around 400 BC, the Greek philosopher Democritus had basically figured out what comets were. He posited that, uh, hey, don't listen to him. Oh. What's, uh, what's up, Aristotle? Uh, I was just saying that you shouldn't listen to that guy because he's stupid. Oh, yeah? Yeah, comets are probably just rocks being thrown up into the sky from mountains, so don't even think about them. The rocks? Yeah, rocks. Or else maybe they're from when the gas clouds get lit on fire. What? What gas clouds? The ones in the sky, idiot. Point is that they can't be from outer space. Alright, I'll bite. Why not? Because everything in space is a big series of crystal spheres that are perfectly ordered, and comets are messy and also stupid. But... Yeah? You got a question? No, no. It's crystal spheres. It's, it's a good point. Thanks. I am pretty smart. Now, if you excuse me, I gotta go tell people that men have more teeth than women. Be sure to take me at my word on pretty much everything for the better part of 2,000 years, and have a nice day! And that worked. Comets couldn't be worth trying to study like the rest of the heavens because they were geological or meteorological phenomena. Aristotle said so. 
And when Seneca pointed out that if they were burning gas clouds, they should be affected by wind, European thinkers said, screw you, Seneca, and went right back to Aristotle. It wasn't until a comet appeared in 1577 that Aristotle was fully rebutted. The Danish astronomer Tycho Brahe got observations of the comet from two locations and used the differences between where in the sky it appeared from each to triangulate roughly how distant it was from the Earth. While Brahe's data was noisy, it made it clear that the comet had to be way beyond the moon. After Brahe came Johann Kepler, who managed to suss out the laws of planetary motion. Then comes Sir Isaac Newton, who describes gravity. Between those three new ideas, Edmund Halley had what he needed to figure out the periodicity of the comet that had brought King William to England. Periodicity. Periodicity. God, it's just it's a scrumptious word. Give it a try. Periodicity. Say it. Isn't that great? Whenever I'm having a bad day recently, I just say to myself, Mark? Periodicity. Periodicity. And suddenly everything is a tiny bit better. I urge you, try it sometime. Right, uh, Halley. Halley poured through observations and concluded that the orbits of three comets from 1531, 1607, and 1682 were identical and that it must be the same comet coming back around every 76 years. He predicted it would be back then in 1758, and although he was long dead by then, it did. And after that, no one ever got scared of comets ever again. It's too obvious? It's, uh, that's too obvious, right? Fine. But the concerns did somewhat shift. With the return of Halley's Comet in 1910, science largely ruled the day. No longer did people labor under beliefs that it was the finger of an angry god pressing down upon us, or the stars taking a shit, or even an ignited gas cloud. Telescopes and spectroscopy were advancing so far that not only could the general public understand that Halley's Comet was nothing more than some sort of cosmic snowball of various ice and rock, but astronomers could take a close glimpse of the thing to determine of what specifically the snowball was composed. So, as the comet approached, they analyzed its makeup, both to better understand the universe and to finally allay our primitive superstitious concerns once and for all. See everybody, the astronomers said. The comet is nothing more than a mix of carbon and iron and cyanide gas? Oops. The panic began in earnest when Camille Flammarion, who was basically the Neil deGrasse Tyson of the day, was quoted in the New York Times saying that the comet's tail would, quote, impregnate the Earth's atmosphere and possibly snuff out all life on the planet. Though most scientists disapproved of Flammarion's view, it didn't stop newspapers around the world from becoming impregnated with headlines like Comet May Kill All Life on Earth, or Many Fear It Will Do Harm, or even the very to the point one in the Ogden Standard, which read simply, Coming End of World. The rational age of understanding was consumed with white-hot fear. Gas masks became a hotly traded commodity. Shysters sold anti-comet pills. Those who couldn't get either one of those questionable solutions spent the days before Earth passed through Halley's tail sealing their doors and windows shut with candle wax. Across the country, miners stole their families into the deep recesses of the pits to wait out the cyanide clouds beneath the Earth. 
In California, one man nailed himself to a cross in a strategy I will leave you to decipher because damned if I know. There are various reports of suicides, even mass suicides, although they are difficult to validate. There were other scientific concerns besides flammarian cyanide panic. Some people thought that the gravitational pull of Halley would cause the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans to trade waters, drowning North and South America as they did so. But not all hysteria about the comet came from the scientific findings of its makeup. In Oklahoma, police stumbled upon and stopped what is said to have been a virgin sacrifice to the comet. In Chicago, a rock-throwing brawl broke out on Lake Street between rival gypsy fortune-tellers with competing interpretations of the comet's meaning. There was nothing rational about the Panic of 1910 whatsoever. And that irrationality comes back to us with the same reliability as the comet itself, with Hale-Bopp, with the Mayan Apocalypse, with the Millennium. Periodicity. Periodicity. Say it with me. Writing a half-century before 1910, George Wilson said, We speak of astrology as an extinct science. Yet, let but an eclipse of the sun happen, or a comet visit the evening sky, and in a moment, we all believe in astrology. In vain do you tell the gazers on such spectacles that a solar eclipse is only the moon acting for the time as a candle extinguisher to the sun, and give them bits of smoked glass to look through, and draw diagrams on the blackboard to explain it all. They listen composedly, and seem convinced, but in their secret hearts they are saying, What? Though you can see it through a glass darkly and draw it on a blackboard, does that show it has no moral significance? You can draw a gallows, or a guillotine, or write the Ten Commandments on a blackboard, but does that deprive them of meaning? And so with the comet. No man will believe that the splendid stranger is hurrying through the sky solely on a momentous errand of his own. No. He is plainly signaling, with that flashing sword of his, something of importance to men, something at all events that, if we could make it out, would be found of huge concern to us. You see, one of the mistakes of advancement is in thinking that new knowledge will cast out old fears, that the thing we call the rational and the thing we call the irrational can't share space, that one can excise the other. But if it were so simple to explain away fear, fear would have been bested years ago. As we passed through the tale, churches filled, but also bars and clubs and rooftops, panic, celebration, ambivalence, trepidation, and then nothing. Just a beautiful sight in the night sky. One teenage girl fell from a rooftop while staring up at the sight, and, and that was tragic, but not really anything you could truly blame the comet for. Flammarion didn't give up the ghost on his claim. He said that many people smelled something like burnt vegetables as Earth crossed the tail. So he had, in a sense, perhaps hypothetically, been right. And while most people were understandably unimpressed by Flammarion's hedge, there were still plenty not willing to give up the ghost of their fears so easily. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution even ran a story claiming that their city would be saved by cloud cover that would deflect the cyanide gas back away from all good, God-fearing Georgians. But the best and the most enduring headline the morning after Halley's passing came from the Chicago Tribune. It read simply, We're still here. From the home of the world's greatest newspaper, Chicago, Illinois, this has been the constant.
But this wasn't the first time Halley's Comet had changed the world, and it wouldn't be the last. We're going to have to make a decision on Haley versus Halley. Let's say Halley. Fucking, I, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Halley. Haley. Halley. Haley. It's annoying, stupid old English pronunciation. Standardize your language, English speakers. <laughs>